I just think the culture of restaurants leaves women, I mean, unless you've got a really strong sense of yourself, the, the environment itself is quite difficult to work in. And I use the word in a measured way. I mean, it is, there's bullying, there's aggression, there's a whole host of stuff that is not necessarily personal. It is just the nature of the stress that happens in an environment where you just have to deliver. This week on Dirty Linen, we continue to talk about women in hospitality, the trials, the tribulations, the victories, the tears, the triumphs. And I'm absolutely thrilled to bring into this conversation Hannah Asafri. She is the owner of Moroccan Soup Bar in Melbourne. She is an absolute powerhouse. I mean, Hannah, we're going to, I mean, if you don't already know her, you're going to get to know her really well in this conversation. Um, Welcome to Dirty Linen, Hannah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. After that introduction, I don't think I need to say anything else. Thank you. (laughs) As if if you're going to be able to stop yourself from talking, though. Yes, I'll try. I'll try. Um, So, Hannah, tell us a little bit about Moroccan Soup Bar for people who might not know of it already. Um, so the Moroccan Super is a hospitality business that is somewhat unconventional. We founded it 23 years ago, 24 years ago, and it is a space where um, I guess, you know, we deliver and offer hospitality in a different way. Back of house, the idea is to circuit break a cycle of disadvantage for women through employment. Um and to the point that they then champion the very causes that have left them at a disadvantage or in circumstances of crisis. And front of house, um, it is to offer the best possible Moroccan vegetarian food in Melbourne. And women, through our training and conditioning, obviously over decades and centuries, our spaces in the home have left us really well Uh, experienced in knowing how not only to cook but to prepare to experiment and to offer up the most nutritious of foods and we simply wanted to turn uh, those circumstances which have traditionally kept women at a disadvantage into a source of empowerment so it was a holistic vision Um, and yes it was bold as a as a concept 23 years ago Uh, we were a spoken menu it was more personal where there was no uh, medium between us and our diners our diners became part of our community part of our family we are a personal spoken menu so there's no printed menu Um, and that meant that we immediately engaged with people in a way that wasn't familiar to hospitality 23 years ago Um, and we also introduced the idea of, of communal eating and dining where people sat in groups and shared uh, meals and feasts as opposed to individually order off the card, off the menu. Um, so our very sitting arrangements were communal. Our very employment uh, settings were about enabling and community and social responsibility. Um not only, I guess, even back then uh, to women, but also mindfulness of our tread uh, in terms of environmental issues and sustainability, uh, First Nations people, that for us as a, as a vision, as a perspective, that social and community justice issues are not cause-specific, but rather a vision uh, through which we express hospitality to our community. And, you know, 23 years later... 
um, it's become so well uh, received and such a legacy. I guess we haven't physically grown as a business, but our community has grown in terms of uh, a community that's hungry for a better world who resonates with a vision for better. Mm. Hannah, what was it that inspired you to launch such a business? Um, so prior to the Moroccan Super, I mean, for me, I guess my currency always has been social and community justice, no matter where that is. That's what makes me tick. That is what gets me up in the morning. And feeling that we uh, have the capacity to contribute uh, to some extent, no matter what the setting or the genre. So prior to hospitality, I worked in domestic violence services for 15 years in various capacities from direct service delivery through to management and policy development and advising governments on effective models and, and strategies, all that sort of stuff. And all in all, I guess, uh, leaving that, that sector uh, was simply when uh, I no longer believed in its capacity to support the most vulnerable of women. Uh, we came into kind of a government who changed the nature of service delivery um, and wanted to quantify uh, violence against women. And what I mean by that is it sought to fund services according to the unit. How much does a woman cost to come through a service? Now, that's little complex when women's needs are complex, when women's needs are diverse, when there's a whole host of other factors that are not being considered. So I found myself kind of internally really struggling with how effective can we be as a women's sector when we haven't really tussled with issues of diversity and racism and a whole host of issues that uh, to quantify uh, service delivery just meant that the most vulnerable will, will be at a disadvantage. So I woke up one day and just thought, you know, I'm no longer committed to uh, a system that I know will not service women effectively. What is it that women need? They need a practical solution as well as this theoretical one. And uh, in particular, how can we create a space where we begin where women are at. And for me, women and food are synonymous with life. Like women cook, whether they're literate, not literate, whether <clears throat> they have experience and capa other capacities, we all know how to cook. We've been trained, certainly in our cultural uh, circumstances, we've been trained and brought up in kitchens. So I just thought this may be uh, one way where, yes, it's bold and certainly unconventional, but this... <laughs> where we can take women on a journey to enabling and empowerment in a real and practical way, as well as theoretically work towards empowering women, etc. That was the history of the Moroccan super, and then it just came to be. Um, are there particular women that you've focused on through the history of the restaurant, Hannah, like from particular communities? Uh, look, uh, the focus, I guess, for me was the women that who found themselves at most disadvantage and certainly over the last two decades, outside of First Nations and Aboriginal women, uh, it is Muslim women. And it's Muslim women who have been the recipients of hostilities and conversations around Islamophobia, that these things weren't sadly just words and concepts, words translated into these women feeling not only unsafe, but at times attacked randomly on the streets, uh, denied opportunities, 
um, made to feel afraid, disconnected and disengaged from society. So for me, it was important that they found a space that is not only safe, but enabled, uh, you know, a reconnection and a reintegration, whether it be older women experiencing crisis or certainly the more younger ones who are finding themselves needing to be reflected somewhere in a space that validated who they are. So Muslim women became the focus of uh, the Moroccan super and in terms of employment and our expression. And also, I think, uh, the importance of the visibility of Muslim women in a way that is, um, you know, this, this kind of just evolved, I guess. It wasn't necessarily, you know, in hindsight, you can go back and say, well, this has been the consequence and the affect of establishing the Moroccan super. And over the years, it became really important that Muslim women are visible in this positive way, in a way that they are um, absolutely independent and they're not passive recipients of male violence, as is perceived, and that we run an establishment that is fairly successful, that is articulate, that is committed to uh, issues of social responsibility and plurality and all those issues that we stand for. And I think even to visually make the association of a Muslim woman wearing a hijab in an environment that is funky, that is um, uh, aligned with these values of human rights and social justice as opposed to aligned and associated with issues of denigration and passivity and subjugation. So that, that uh, became more and more... Uh, the more the external climate was hostile to Muslim women, the more this legacy became important. And I think it also became important to our community who also wanted to take a stand in support of Muslim women and rejecting this nonsense around Islamophobia and stuff. Mm. Can you give us an example of uh, the, the journey that a, a woman has been on through um, coming into contact with Moroccan Soup Bar and how yes, it's, yes, it's, yes. it's transformed uh, yes. things for her? Yes, absolutely. Look, there's, uh, there's many and I think uh, ultimately I'm left in awe of some of these women. Um, I mean, there was one who really quickly comes to mind and only because her journey I think she is so brave. Uh, so she came to me on the verge of suicide and homelessness, uh, two children, one fairly sick young children living in her car and really uh, not knowing no English. Uh, and I didn't speak her language. And she just came in and literally slapped me on the shoulder and she said, I want a job. I want a <laughs> job. And I'm just going, okay, tomorrow? No, now. Um, and forced her way, six foot tall, forced her way into the kitchen and just, I said, okay, come in. <laughs> and, and I found her, in all honesty, quite intimidating as well. But, you know, when women are desperate and um, anyway, uh, needless to say, she kind of worked um, and eventually we found um, and I confronted a very new way of communicating. Sometimes we don't need language. It's a look, it's a nuance, it's a, a touch of affection, it's a way of trying to understand and that knowing look in one another. So, you know, we began to communicate and explore a very different mode of communicating and there were a couple of other women from her cultural background. So we managed... Um, and over time, uh, a few months later, she just said to me, I need to uh, take some time off. Um, need to take my daughter overseas and um, 
you know, uh, circumcise her. So, look, most people would have uh, probably reacted in the, in the same way. And whilst obviously it's not a conduct that is in any way acceptable or um, for me, it is about walking in the shoes of women or certainly alongside them and trying to understand and offer options and education and whatever it is uh, because I think the difference between uh, a situation like this and where abuse lies, I, I think there's a vast difference. This this woman is, this is not coming from a place of wanting to abuse her daughter at all. It's coming from a perceived, I believe, a perceived misogynist interpretation of that culture that she's internalised, which is very different. Um, so... I began to inquire, why? Where do you think these understandings come from? Um, and I sat with her for over a month, every day. And I said, I understand the Quran. I've read the Quran. I know the rights and responsibilities of women and men, that there is no Islamic basis for these practices. Now, she didn't read the Quran. She did not understand. So she kept coming back for information that was relevant to her. And she'd go back to her community and say, is this true that this has no basis, et cetera, et cetera. In the end, after almost a month daily over chopping veggies and conversations, she came back, she said, I'm not going to cut my daughter. I will not um, uphold this practice. And now she's an advocate against it. So, wow. Oh, my. That is that is absolutely incredible. And, I mean, you know, you spoke earlier about the, that sort of commodification of, of treatment or dealing with domestic violence, you know, where it's very much about clients and units of time and you just think that, that is yes. a million miles from that ongoing daily contact and I suppose that trust that you build up and, you know, that, and that she's... She's, you know, she's a valuable person in your business. Um, it's, it's just such a different dynamic, isn't it? And such a powerful site where you can create change or allow somebody to find their own way to change. Well, and ultimately, I just think social change, no matter its nature, whether we're talking about violence against women or racism, whatever the issue is, the reality is we've got to be able to walk people's shoes and take them on a journey of change. That is going to be the most effective, long-lasting legacy, not imposing and forcing onto people, but rather, and in particular, I think, and I think there is an important point where um, this is not about abuse. This is not about a woman abusing her child. If that was the case, this would be a very different conversation. But clearly it came from upholding things that she thought were beneficial, actually. Um, so in the end, I, I just looked at this woman in awe. I mean, we are still very, very good friends. And, you know, years later, I met her daughter, who will never know what the conversation was all those years ago, 20 years ago almost. Um, but that is um, not only you can't quantify that, but also when you put women together who have lived shared experiences, the connectedness between them is invaluable. And that is why uh, the Moroccan soup bar, I guess, has been through a number of different incarnations um, in terms of our staff and employment and because initially it was those older women who were experiencing crises 
And that is where I left the domestic violence sector from. So I had access to a number of women that needed practical, tangible uh, solutions. But then over the years, it became the younger ones who are struggling to find their place in a world that is really hostile to them. So, you know, the next generation came on and then the next generation. So, um, and the importance of putting women together and connecting in a space that validates them, I think is is invaluable in terms of quanti- how do you quantify that? I don't know. Mm. And that's why I've never said no, never ever said no to a woman who's walked in my door wanting a job um, and, and that's why I don't think charity works or just giving people money and saying, okay, go and when there's a job, I'll give you one. It is about putting women in a space together where we can nut out some of these issues and make sense of what's happening in our lives and, and crises and trauma. And oftentimes some of these women end up living together um, and their kids become best friends if they have kids. So I've had a number of women who ended up forming households together from different cultural backgrounds. And and how do you, I just think that is wonderful to see. That's amazing. Um, yeah. It, it's, do you, I know there are, there are so many aspects to your restaurant that go beyond mm. delivering a restaurant experience, like front mm. of house and back of house. I mean, do you feel like the Moroccan Soup Bar is part of the hospitality industry? Yes, Uh uh, albeit um, in a way that's different and thankfully, you know, and, and we've been really lucky, we've been acknowledged and awarded so many different awards and half the time uh, whilst we are disconnected, um, we we don't even know what the award is and someone rings us up and says, you've received this award and I go, oh, great, fantastic. And yes, <laughs> we're absolutely humbled, but what is it? Um, from the cheap eats champ to some of the good food guides, some of the best vegetarian meal and and whatever. So we have, uh, whilst we don't move in those circles, we're certainly part of an industry who I think um, is uniquely Melbourne and uniquely um, quirky in its delivery of hospitality so that, you know, most other hospitality industries have gentrified a lot and and I think the charm of of places like Melbourne and businesses like the Moroccan Super, albeit in a hospitality setting, um, also enable us to kind of look to different expressions and and maybe feel motivated by them and feel that yes, we can do hospitality, but we can also have it founded on a pillar of community and social justice, and it can still be um, as successful as the next person. Mm. whose only focus may be monetary or maybe, I don't know, uh, a piece of steak where, you know, that becomes our our sense of expertise. For us, the the piece of steak or the wine is actually the women um, in our employ and that is what enriches the delivery of, of our service. And, and I think uh melbourne hospitality scene certainly in the last decade has changed so much so that people are hungry uh for better they're hungry for you know the implications the consequences knowing uh the social conscience a responsibility in how we spend our money and i think that is becoming uh more important to melburnians rather than less so Mm. Um, we did go through a fad of uh, things being about Instagram and celebrity people, and but I think now we're 
coming back to uh, other things matter and it's not just older diners and um, uh, yeah I think the younger ones especially uh, the next generation is kind of really looking for more meaning in everything that they do and hospitality is a place where they congregate and it's affordable so we speak to that but it also speaks to issues that are important to them so yes I do um, but I'm not defined by it I guess is the short answer. What issues do you see, particularly for women in restaurants generally? Um, in terms of uh, employment or? Yeah, in yeah. terms of employment. Yeah. Look, um, I mean, it's it's easy to be critical of, of systems and it's much harder to... Um, to kind of think of solutions. Um, I, I just think the culture of restaurants, um, certainly the, the high pressure, the demand, the expectations, the stress that happens in kitchens leaves women, um, I mean, unless you've got a really strong sense of yourself, the, the environment itself is quite difficult to work in. And I use the word um, in a measured way. I mean, it is, there's bullying, there's aggression, there's a whole host of stuff that is not necessarily personal. It is just the nature of the stress that happens in an environment where you just have to deliver. Um, and I think that's difficult for women, particularly when we have elevated the status of chefs um, so much so, and almost always those chefs are men. Um, uh, so it becomes a really difficult dynamic not to take personally and not to feel intimidated by and not to want to run away from. So we try to create an environment when, when it is all women. So our establishment is all women. And yes, those pressures are still all there, absolutely. But I think the way in which we reflect on them, the way in which we resolve and deal with them um, is daily and is evolution on the run. We do not uphold uh, a sense of um, hierarchy within the workplace where you know, what I say goes and that's how it is and I need you to respect me. We, we don't do any of that in our workspaces. In fact, the opposite is true. I think for women, uh, compassion is important and is a strength, in fact. Um, shared responsibility. So we look to one another and we say, okay, so this woman doesn't necessarily have the same capacity as you. Let's recognise that and support her rather than let's get rid of her because she cannot fulfil her role. So there's a, a whole culture, um, and I don't know how do you explain and describe culture other than in these little small ways. The culture of our workplace supports, enables and empowers women rather than just sets a standard and says, you will meet this standard and if you don't, you're out, and you will uphold this hierarchy and if you don't, you're out. We that is so foreign to us because I think the whole workplace has been defined and set up by what I call women's intuitive uh, intelligence. So our intuition, when I said earlier that I can communicate with someone who where we don't share a language, we intuitively communicate in a different way. And that intelligence enables us to read the room, it enables us to read one another and relate and that is an important, uh, I guess, centre point or foundation for how we set up a culture in a workplace. Are other hospitality uh, workspaces run in the same way? From everything I've heard, no. Um, but 
you know, it, it is about the diversity. It's neither, I can't criticise others, I can't tell you what works or what doesn't. I can simply say what absolutely works in ours to the point that a lot of our staff stay years, um, even though we want them to leave sometimes, and they stay with us because I think the environment itself, even though it's a high turnover industry, the environment itself is supportive and enables them uh, to feel validated and yeah, so they mm. stay. So, so they, when you say when you yeah. say you want them to leave, is that because you just feel like there are other opportunities out there for them? Absolutely. So we, um, I mean, the only the, the other thing over the years that we've done in terms of back of house for women is that we have teamed up with, and I think I said this the other day with Box Hill Institute, where women are. Um, enabled and trained up through diplomas to do hospitality courses, leadership and management, chefing, patisserie, whatever it is they want to do, um, and not have that compete with putting food on the table for them and their kids. So we support that and uh, Box Hill Institute supports that and they have in-house training. So yes, at some point I would like them to leave and set up their own businesses or whatever it is they want to do. And, mm. you know, sometimes uh they're a little hesitant um but eventually they get there and we want to be springboard for them to 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 the next chapter in their lives and you know yes they and i i say it in an endearing way i mean yeah we do want them to leave but um at the moment we're certainly grateful that they haven't in, in terms of what's happening in hospitality. Sure. Um, yeah. you, speaking of what's happening in hospitality, you've had to make some changes to your business through 2020. Can you just describe the experience of going to Moroccan Soup Bar now? Because I guess you've spoken so much about your staff and how, you know, you are a haven and a, a, a stepping stone for them. But you you also, it's, there's also this outreach aspect of Moroccan Soup Bar, isn't there, where you want your diners to ask questions and consider mm. things as well. So uh, COVID, I guess, uh, whilst it was, it, it did bring out the, the best attributes of, of community and generosity and support, but it also did kind of showcase some of our worst, like in landlords who did ask us to leave and, um, after 23 years because, you know, we didn't have the means to just wait it out and just pay rent unknowingly. So, yes, we left. And, and for me, the devastation was, although short-lived, but it was because the Moroccan super is much more than just a job. It is our very autonomy. It's our legitimacy as women. Um, so it was difficult to then... Uh, chart a pathway forward how do we imagine doing the moroccan super in a in a world that just shut down in a world where um not only the women and our staff and our community we had no access to anybody and yes whilst we needed to keep them all safe we also needed to reimagine how do we do this moving forward how do we, we read the environment and the world where a pandemic is an op, is upon us how do we not wait and look to politicians and, and men in our communities and others? How do we decide um, a rebuild and a reinvention of hospitality for our time? So 
for me, the answer uh, really came when I had five women. So altogether, I had 40, but five of whom got no government support. So it was a no-brainer that I would always keep uh, all the women as much as I could. Um, and whatever the impact was, that we would share the impact. And I sat them down and said, look, we will endure this. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we'll be okay. Um, and then the five women who got no job keeper, no job seeker, and I couldn't even refer them anywhere in society. Everything was shut down. Looked at me and said, are we going to be okay? Um, and that was the turning point for me. And I just thought, if I can't respond to that, then I can't continue to claim that I'm a place that supports women, blah, blah, blah. So I looked at them and, and feigned confidence and said, you will absolutely be fine. Um, and at that point, that became the turning point, that this is what matters. It, okay, we're economically devastated. We've been turfed out of our place, blah, blah, blah. But our optimism matters now. Our convictions, who we are, who we claim we are, matters now. So I literally drew down on my personal mortgage, rebuilt the Moroccan super by reinvesting in the values that are the Moroccan super, that are women, that are community, that are First Nations, that are the environment, and all those issues um, responding to a COVID normal, a COVID climate. So we recreated spaces that are self-contained and small uh, as themed dining rooms. And each of the rooms engages those that are dining in those spaces with the social justice issues around the themes of those rooms. So the, the garden room, for example, is about the climate emergency and First Nations. So we invite our community to acquaint ourselves with a conversation uh, that is important, that is necessary, and lean into our own agency. Um, instead of waiting for government instructions to kind of say this is how what we believe about the climate or not. So, and First Nations, similarly, we um, ask basic, simple engagement with issues that strengthen the fact that we are allies on lands with a chequered past, lands that haven't been ceded, and how do we bring people on that journey without judgment? Because I think the Moroccan Super builds communities. We reach across divisions. We don't divide communities. Um, and the women's room simply celebrates the legacy and contribution of women. Um, and, and we invite, again, men and women and non-gender binary, it doesn't matter who you are, to know and understand that we, we have all these values and claims. We want to afford women dignity and respect. This is what we say. Yet our behaviour is so far removed from that. We, we know Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela and Mahatma Gandhi and Eddie Mabo. Um, but if I even mention their counterparts in women who over the decades have contributed to reforming societies and social justice and civil rights in September Clark, most people would scratch their head and go, who are you talking about? And this just simply shows in a tangible way that it's not a fault of, of anybody. It is a system that doesn't recognise women in the same way. So we've allocated an entire room where all the books are written by women, except one, and the conversation and the quizzes and the conversation starters are about engaging us with learning to celebrate the contributions of women, our aunts, our mothers, our partners, our kids. This is a way when we change behaviour, we begin to change society. Um, the other room, 
is the kitchen. Um, and again, it takes us back to this point about um, hospitality and food sadly has, sadly, very sadly, has become about Instagram shots and celebrity status and who, which chef and whatnot when food should be about nutrition. And I think we've lost sight of, of uh, even some of the basics. Yes, some of the food is extraordinary in how it's prevented, presented. It looks like a piece of art that should be on a wall. But um, it is also true that uh, it's been mystified so much that we want to demystify um, and, and come back to some of the basics of how to throw some ingredients together, make a meal, understanding where stuff comes from. So that happens in our kitchen. Um, and so the new incarnation of the Moroccan super is really uh, tactile, I guess, in that way, that it engages you with the themes of that room. The last room, If I, have I still got time to talk about this? Yes, I want to know about the last room because I know what you're going to okay. say. <laughs> the intimacy one? Yes, I like this one. Okay. Uh, so the intimacy room, again, is an observation. And obviously what matters to me is a more harmonious, peaceful, compassionate and just society. And in my observation in the last decade, particularly around, and, and look at what's topical today, around the gender issues, coercion, uh, toxic masculinity, pushbacks and all that sort of stuff. So I want us to be able to, um, again, in a way that builds community, to engage with a conversation about how do we, as a community, understand intimacy between the genders? How do we not reinforce men and boys having entitlement over women and girls' bodies and women and girls reinforcing that message, mothers to children, uh, to both men and boys, and partners to one another? The pushback that's happening at the moment, there is no other alternative platform where we can respectfully come together and define for ourselves what does intimacy look like in a way that is healthy for 2020 and beyond? How do we imagine how to be um, in a way that isn't about attack and accusation and toxic masculinity and the pushback that's happening at the moment? We are products of a society that's created this dynamic. How do we imagine and not wait for regulation and governments and laws and systems? How do we take charge of our own agency in this conversation? So that happens in the bedroom or the boudoir. And look, I've got to say people um, surprisingly, I mean, two things I want to say that when I thought about and set up the theme, the new incarnation of the Moroccan super, I didn't think anybody would come. I, <laughs> I kid you not. I just thought... Is this too crazy? And I did it in lockdown and I did it at a time where it was absolute isolation. You couldn't even discuss the concept with anybody. There was no sense of community. Um, and then I thought, and I did literally kind of debate it in my own head and just go, is that a step too far? Is it too bold? Is it too crazy? Is it? And I just went, well, it wouldn't be us if it wasn't. So, <laughs> and, and I think as women... Um, as women in business, especially in hospitality, from the very outset, I learned to look inward for my sense of what was okay, what was right, what was, uh, that barometer is internal for me rather than external. I don't or rarely look outwardly and say, oh, what do people want? It's rather, this is who we are, we offer it up in the hope that it resonates. 
And that approach, I think, became important once more that, you know, after 23 years, this new incarnation of the Moroccan soup bar required the same bold um, expression as it did 23 years earlier. And are people coming along? Oh, they love it. They absolutely love it. I mean, look, you could still see some shift a little uncomfortably and kind of go, damn, do we get bread with this? Like, what the hell? <laughs> um, but, you know, I make random announcements and explain the rooms that people are in and the purpose behind it and the importance of, certainly for us, uh, doing hospitality in a more meaningful, responsible way and that it is offered up to them. Um, they can choose not to partake, absolutely. Um, but, you know, with that, we have many exits. Uh, but it, it is <laughs> an invitation rather than uh, grandstanding or an accusation. We invite people to consider and give them the space. And almost always, in my experience, 99.9% are wired for good and they, they are hungry for those places and spaces we just need to be brave and take them up and lead in those spaces. And for me, you know, 56 years old, I need something more meaningful. I mean, otherwise, that is our legacy. And this is now the time for it to have matured and evolved somewhat and respond to the changing needs of community. So... Yeah, they do. I think they do. I hope they do. <laughs> I bet they do. Hannah, thank you so much for this generous invitation you give to all of us to embrace change and, and to be the best the best people that we can be. I think it's really inspiring and powerful. And oh, you. your yeah, your legacy you're you're still building it, but it's already extraordinary and um yeah, I've just I've had numerous chills go up my spine during this conversation Aww. and I, I know it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you, Danny, so much. Anytime. And please come in and say hi. And um, yeah. yeah, I have to work out which room. I, do, I, do I get to choose a room or you tell me? Uh, it depends. It really depends on the day. But I'm sure uh, I'd get the room that I need on the right day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Intuitively, you will. Okay, great. All right. Thanks, Hannah. We'll Look after you yourself. soon. Thanks, Danny. You too. Bye-bye. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.